2: So our podcast is called Right and Wrong. So are
1: these your notes? These, <laughs> are these your
3: notes about what we're going to say? Uh, anything. Just it. yeah, a short answer. <laughs> so how many novels did you not finish? Oh my Probably. God, so many. <laughs> <laughs> it was perfect.
2: What she talking about? This is not a difference. Ooh, a spicy question. I love
0: it. <laughs>
3: this is it, guys. The big secret to getting published is you have to write a good book. <laughs> I here first. We're going say- <laughs> to Hello and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. Today I'm joined by another member of the team over at Darley Anderson Literary Agency. Today it's children's agent, Becca Langton. Hi Becca.
2: Hi. Thank you for having me.
3: So, very busy time of the year. Well, that's that's what I'm told by agents, but then again, it's always busy for agents. Um, Yeah. Frankfurt Book Fair is upon us. That's right. Yeah. Is it all hands on deck at the moment?
2: It is. I mean luckily or rather unfortunately for her we have a rights um a, a agent manager so she is the one who really bears the brunt of Frankfurt and Bologna um so she's gone off to Germany to do the you know the meetings in person she's been doing weeks of meetings in the run up um sell our sell our rights to um foreign publishers so for us it's mostly a matter of things being busy just because there's, you know, there are lots of books going out, lots of lots of movements. So um, it's kind of business as normal to an extent for us.
3: Oh, nice. I see. So, so you and, and the the rest of the agents don't generally go. We to don't the, go to
2: Frankfurt. We always go to well, we usually go to Bologna, or at least some of us will go to Bologna, just because Bologna is um, a children's uh, fair in particular. Whereas Frankfurt is everything, and there's usually more of an adult focus. And generally, uh, Bologna is. A more pleasant experience than Frankfurt. I mean nothing against the city <laughs> of Frankfurt. Um but it doesn't quite have the sun and um Aperol oh, and okay. pasta <laughs> vibes that Bologna does. So sure. we tend to to um focus on Italy as opposed to Germany.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I mean, so for those of us who are on the outside looking in, what is the significance and sort of what, what goes on at events like Frankfurt Book Fair?
2: um they're amazing times and places for um international colleagues to meet so um we are our rights um, manager christina will be out there meeting german publishers french publishers brazilian publishers korean publishers and telling them about the books where we hold translation rights um and you know trying to forge connections and see whether we would um you know be a good fit for any of those places so the publishers looking our books and seeing what they want to buy them what they aren't um generally are places for authors to be um, unless they're invited over to kind of you know do presentations or to yeah. be an extra sale pitch um for, for their books but they're not really a place for um agents and authors to connect so it's much more about um foreign rights sales um and we also go and meet um british um editors and for me because i focus on north america that's where my um sort of focus is where i'm building my list where i'm trying to sell books and um to first it's a really good opportunity to go and meet american um publishers and editors i've just been to new york so i don't necessarily need to go to frankfurt you know a couple of weeks later to meet the same people but i will be going to italy to bologna to meet um us editors so it's, oh. a, it's a good opportunity to connect there as well
3: okay okay so you mentioned your focus is on the us market does that yes. mean does that mean that you work with a lot of authors in the us or that you're mainly just trying to sell rights to the us but you're still working with authors in the uk
2: um so it's a little bit of both my um my work my list is us focused first so i would say something like 70% of the authors and illustrators that i represent are based in the us um all over the all over the states but um i also represent a couple of people who are in europe um and one american in in london um but my my list is based on whether those books would sell in the u.s rather than the uk first i mean that's not to say they won't sell in the uk i also sell them to the uk um but it's kind of as a, as a secondary um factor just because most people who i represent their voices are american or you know have a particular u.s um, feel to it but I also do represent the US right or the North American rights um for our agents um for the clients of our agents so for British or you know European uh authors who are represented by Claire or Lydia or Chloe Um, I can represent the North American rights into the US just because I've spent a while, you know, building up relationships. The US market is so much bigger than the UK one. So there are Mm -hmm. so many editors, there's, you know, 300 editors opposed to 30. So it's very much a matter of like trying to grasp what everyone's looking for and which houses are best suited to which kind of stories. So um, yeah, it's a kind of a a particular skill set, which I'm still still learning, but it's, it's been really fun to fun to do.
3: Oh, that's so interesting. Mm. So I know that there's going to be a lot of nuance and minutiae to it, but uh, if I, in sort of broad strokes, if like, if you could name one or two things, what's the kind of main differences between uh, an author that you would pose to the UK market versus the US market?
2: I think, well, voice is the first one. Um, And I I think focus. So there is just a natural difference in. For instance, a YA contemporary story. One of them set in Birmingham. One of them set in Atlanta. Um, and I generally say, as a rule, that authors—not that they need to write only what they know—but you can you can tell when an, a US writer is trying to write a London-based story that you know the nuances aren't there for them. Yeah. Um, in the same way that someone based in Manchester trying to write a story set in New York, they're not going to have the same sense of place same sense of you know society and um, culture you just they don't necessarily ring as true so as a general rule you know books read better when they're set in the places that that author knows very well sure Um, yeah so I think often location is one of those things um and you know then it comes like fantasy and obviously those they're less location based so it doesn't necessarily matter so much um and when that happens you know it's just a matter of taste i suppose for me um, okay
3: yeah and i know that some markets are, are bigger in the us than the uk for example ya yeah. is a much bigger market in the us than, than in the uk
2: that's true i mean the uk ya is definitely growing and that's really exciting to see um it's just more publishers there are more books there are more publishers and that's a good and a bad thing you know there's a lot more competition for for, n- for new books being published yeah um and, in you know, in the same way, upper middle grade maybe is slightly stronger here than it is in the US. We don't necessarily have quite the same um, sort of production of big fantasy adventure upper middle grades in the States that we do in the UK. And there's therefore, you know, pe- the US maybe acquires more from the UK. Um, but I think, you know, I think trends change, people's tastes change. So um, like everything else, it's just a matter of finding voices that are exciting and and the editors that want to publish them
3: yeah yeah Yeah. it always comes down to that in the end that's interesting let's bring it back to 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 you and and your publishing origins because you've worked across a a real sort of stretch of the industry (laughs) that's (laughs) true what was what was your first job in publishing where did you get your foot in the door
2: so i so I mean to go a little bit further back from that, I suppose i actually uh, after I graduated, I trained as a teacher um a primary school teacher, and i loved it. I loved the pastoral side of things, and I really loved the <laughs> story bit of things. What I didn't like so much was um having to teach like maths and um i t um, oh yeah, and also things like having no control of when you could eat when you could go to the bathroom you know like they were just there was a lot I really enjoyed the children and I really enjoyed um, other parts of it but the actual the the life of a teacher maybe wasn't for me and I kind of realized that I'd never really worked in the real world apart from you know doing various like summer jobs and working in like restaurants and bars and that but I thought actually I want to get asked the education system and you know rather than being sort of jumping from school to university, straight back into school again I would go and see the real world so I applied for um, a graduate scheme at Half Collins and um off the back of that made lots of really good connections and w- was given a couple of internships and then at the same time um did the standards you know working nights in a pub and working days um as a mostly unpaid paid intern which had hopefully I mean I think things are changing and now interns are paid but when I was doing this 10 years ago it wasn't the case so there was very much a matter of I, I, at one point um as well I was doing an internship uh for Anderson Press and I went, went to the internship during the day and cycled back you know across London to work in the pub that I was oh, wow. um waitressing at and uh w- was um given my uh sort of direct boss a table <laughs> it's like oh <laughs> there's too much crossover here it was really yeah. weird she's like I think I recognized you I was like yeah I, I just I saw you about 35 minutes ago oh <laughs> um, here we are uh so yeah so I did all various internships and then was given a job um eventually um at uh Hotkey Books as an editorial assistant um which was an incredibly exciting place to be you know the doors were literally opening on my first day of work the desks were kind of still in their packaging yeah so it was fun um and it was kind of a you know an exciting interesting place to be we were winning awards all over the place um but there were growing pains as well you know as is normal um in a place like that um yeah. and um i did a bit of non fiction um work which wasn't necessarily what i was super passionate about doing and then a job came up um at a digital uh startup called mind candy which um was the birthplace of moshi monsters which had this kind of huge um, enormous success in the i don't know late 20 20- or late 2000s no not is that the right way to say it sort of 2008 2000
3: yeah yeah yeah, yeah
2: 2009
3: 2010 um was it it's, an, it's like an online game moshi yeah monsters. it was um
2: a, a digital platform where you could adopt a monster and then play games with them and, you know, live in the city and, ha- and build a house and had all this um, things you could collect and put on the walls. Um, there was an absolutely incredible success. And it was like Neopets. Yeah, it was like Neopets. That's the one I knew. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was exactly what it was like. Um, and it was huge. And I joined um, on turn cover to publish the magazine, which was the best-selling children's magazine, I think, ever. Wow. Um, so it was huge. Um, so, still in physical publishing, actually, but mm-hmm. it was just sort of in a different form. And working, going from a sort of traditional publishing company to a digital startup was incredible. This place had, you know, astroturf and slides and tree houses and <laughs> ping free pong lunches. Tables, I oh, oh my God, ping pong everywhere. <laughs> so, and we had, we had, um, you know, free drinks on a Friday evening. And we had, um, there were summer parties in Paris and, festivals and like i mean it was really something else um and then the ipads came out and they were suddenly faced with this incredible problem where they built Moshi monsters in, in html which you can then translate to an ipad so children were migrating to a different media and they and Moshi monsters couldn't go with it so um it was a sort of a rocky few years as we tried to work out what to do next with it um and eventually the team that I was on uh was made redundant I think we were the last oh. to go but <laughs> we had locked, we'd, they'd concreted up the slide by then so um, oh
3: dear.
2: yeah it was, it was a sad moment for all of us uh, but it was you know that's the kind of nature of um tech to be honest like things yeah. change and you have to be flexible and yeah. when you're a really really big company that's expanded exponentially it's very hard to do that with the same agility as a smaller team so um mm-hmm. I've had some amazing experiences did a lot of publishing um so I became publishing manager. So I was working with Egmond and, uh, PRH doing sort of huge licensing oh, wow. deals, not just with Monster Monsters, but with another, um, uh, brand called, uh, World of Warriors, which was fun. Yeah. And, um, but obviously, you know, all good things come to an end and that did. Um, and I joined the Pottermore team to um, do some digital publishing. So, Baltimore, working with,
3: as in the Wizarding World? The, Wizarding, the Wizarding World, yeah. Okay. As was, okay, yeah.
2: <laughs> um, so yeah, they had the, the Harry Potter sort of um, online, uh, I guess, website where they yeah. had you know, originally it was like an interactive story, and by the time I joined, it was lots more um, articles. And kind of thought pieces and opinion pieces.
3: Right. Um, was it originally? It was. It was the the what house are you in quiz.
2: That so I think that came after was the first oh, really? iteration <laughs> was like maybe it did, maybe no maybe you're right. It was I that and you I could also it. walk through the the stories and you oh, could like okay. click on different bits and like things would happen. So it was, it was right. kind of you know it developed. Um, and this is a while ago. I guess 2015 maybe. I think my years are dodgy but um I joined on a sort of on a temporary basis and then just kept getting extended but the idea was that I'd work with um Apple um and Amazon to I suppose to make um sort of enhanced iBooks so you know using the contents that was available through all the books how would we translate that into enhanced um yeah. so yeah again had a, a flavor of publishing to it but um was kind of on a different platform than um, the printed word um but I was on the iBooks team so my the team I was with work, were working on on um the, the books themselves just in um in, in ebook format um and then after that uh, while I was there actually because I was um effectively freelancing almost I was able to start doing some reading for scouts um oh okay so scouting is this i'm not sure if you've ever spoken to any scouts but no. they're <laughs> i recommend it. they're a strange sort of like elusive um breed mm-hmm. um, there aren't very many scouts but they do a really incredibly important job um so they are basically working on behalf of foreign publishers to find the best or the most exciting new projects coming through the uk or the us um so that um, those foreign publishers can be the first to acquire those rights. So um. you're basically you're scouting, scouting great books, and you're really only doing it, only doing agented books for sure, but often only published books as well. So you're working with publishers um, to find like what's you know what's being published over the next few years. You want to be the first person to read it, the first person to report on it, the first person to say this book's incredible. um So that's really exciting when you can when you can say I found this book and I and I saw it first and I knew it was amazing. I remember reading um Lessons on Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. I know when first on submission, and I didn't, I sat down and didn't start reading it and sent an email like, stop press, this book is going to be incredible. And you know, our publishers moved on it, and all my friends are talking about it now that it's been published, and it is huge. And i like, it gives me great joy that I saw that. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was inevitable in a way because I had a great agent, a great uh publisher and obviously an incredibly talented author like there was no way that book wasn't going to be a success but when you see something that has that kind of magic to it you think yeah that's that's brilliant I see so um yeah so I started reading for a scout and then eventually moved away uh, from Potter and scouted sort of full-time I, w- I went freelance um so I was doing editorial work and um freelancing I did a bit of writing as well so um it just it gave me the um, to sort of pursue that, um, in a way that, um, made sense at that, at that moment. And um, yeah, so that was where I was before I joined, uh Darley Anderson. I was
3: scouting. And you, so you went into Darley Anderson, was it was, it was in 2021?
2: Yes, that sounds right. 2021. Yeah.
3: You went in as an agent for the first time being an agent.
2: Yes. Um, I mean, so, you know, in terms of experience, although I never had the title agent, a lot of the things I that are a part of agenting are, will, was work that I'd already been doing. So yeah, I've, yeah. A, I've had my own editorial consultancy business. Um I was working with um, a few different clients, um, and um, obviously scouting is very much talent spotting. Um, and then there's also you know negotiation. So you do do a lot of deal negotiation. So in a way, scouting is agenting's cousin. I would say. Yeah, I was um, going to say
3: that it sounds yeah. very similar.
2: It, they are really similar, but rather than selling author to publisher you're selling publisher to publisher basically
3: yeah yeah yeah. that makes sense
2: yeah so so then it it was a kind of quite natural and actually quite a few scouts I know have um, have moved into agenting it's it's, it's a next step
3: yes it seems like that and then and and yeah as you said you had the editorial experience you had the negotiations and networking experience I guess from like (laughs) when you were doing publishing management and yeah for sure the Pottermore things as well, so I guess you, yeah. you have an insight into ebooks and that sort of thing. Oh yeah,
2: definitely. And actually, as a scout, your job is to know everything and know everyone. So um I definitely had the connections from that, which was really helpful. Definitely.
3: Wow, what an amazing what an amazing career trajectory
1: that you. It had.
2: feels <laughs> like every time you every time you jump in something new, you think, "Wow, what disaster!" I'm <laughs> like, "No, this is this isn't linear at all. Like, well, I should is it, bouncing around like this the right things be doing." But now where I am looking back at what i've done i think actually i do have lots of different experience that does feel yeah. like it ties into at least sort of something sensible um even if they're, they're only connecting threads through it all is storytelling i know how, you know how to tell a good story and what makes a good story mm-hmm. um, and everything yeah. else is just skills that you learn along the way so yeah,
3: yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, yeah, it, when, I, when you look at it all written down, it, it does look like it was all eventually leading you to this one point.
0: I, Did you? I feel like that,
1: yeah. yeah. Sure.
0: Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's.
1: Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer.
3: Did you, did you always, uh, did a part of you always kind of imagine becoming an agent eventually?
2: For sure. So one of the first internships I did was um, at an agency called, well, it was called LAW at that point, And now mm-hmm. is the Soho Agency. Um, oh, okay. And I had a really incredible experience with an agent called Philippa Milne-Smith, who um is an, you know an amazing agent and she was so kind and so helpful um and I really felt at home in this agency and I loved the buzz of this and the energy and the excitement of people coming through the doors and selling their books and it's not just selling the books the first time but career management and um the sort of variety of um life in the agency um and so it was a great um starting point but um I think the problem with agenting generally and you know I've talk about until the cows come home really is that um because of the way that agenting uh is structured generally and not so much darling Anderson which is I'm really lucky about but there aren't it's very rare to have any uh jobs advertised beyond assistant. Um and you know it, it's so unusual to be able to move into um agenting unless you are willing to go so far down you know you're starting starting afresh basically um so it's difficult to get into and not only that but um particularly in the u.s and less so here but to an extent often it's commission-based so you have to have a certain amount of financial security in order to be able to take up agenting because you will have to be able to work for yourself basically you know potentially for free for two years which is why in the u.s so many agents have second jobs or agenting is their part-time nighttime job because they actually need a job that pays the bills until they're well established enough so of course you know unless you're extremely lucky and you find a job like i did that you know is salaried and is open to people without coming from you know the assistant um pipeline then it's very hard it's very hard to get into and i actually spent throughout the jobs that i had i spent a lot of those in between bits seeing if there was any way to get back into it um without taking a huge pay cut or you know having to make some other sacrifice and there wasn't really a moment like that until I got, I got
0: this
3: opportunity. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that lines up with, with the agents that I've spoken to who most, almost all of them have either come through being an assistant, um, or potentially a, re- a reader, which I imagine leads into being an assistant. Exactly. Anyway. Yeah. Um, a scout, as you said, or it's, uh, often editors will go into agenting, but after many years exactly. of experience as an editor, but let's, let's focus on, on you. Uh, and, and your role uh, and and the things that that you represent. Am I right in thinking it's middle grade fiction up to young adults? Yes, and uh,
2: yes. I do a, a couple of pitch books, but I'm quite selective about it. Um, and then my focus is definitely middle grade. Why I'd love to have more graphic novels. Um, trying to find you know that that super talented people who can both write and illustrate um, and have a vision for how a book looks on the page I know mean, it's incredible um when people can do it but they're obviously they're not so many
3: yeah so there's so many disciplines to be juggling exactly yeah. totally. i noticed on your bio page it says i'm not the right person for stories about fairies fae or pirates yeah is that your way of saying no fantasy
2: no i love fantasy okay just i do love fantasy thing. i just find i find that stories about fa- fairies particularly with the a Mm-hmm. it gets bogged down in kind of whimsy and actually is whimsy which i don't particularly okay. like anything which feels too ethereal or too focused on the aesthetic of the story less on the actual plot right. so which is why fairies often yes the ears and the kind of you know mists that don't necessarily speak to me and with pirates i just find that <laughs> it's very unusual for me to read a really original pirate story. <laughs> Having like, if someone came to me with this flag means death, of course, that's a whole other story. But I've I've I, maybe it's, I think it's, you know, less over from being a scout, but I've read so many YA pirate stories really? about hmm. this is the first female pirate. And I think it's not uh... the first female pirate because I've read the story seven times this year yeah um well there there also was
3: a famous female pirate bonnie there are so many famous female pirates (laughs) there's
2: yeah there are actually quite a few of them. okay like real pirates who actually existed real real pirates well you know this is a historical retelling of this unknown pirate no we all know about her because there are so many of them yeah um and something about the swashbuck it's the same thing with fairies you know that i think the aesthetic of it actually gets in the way of the storytelling because it's all about swashbuckling and boots and often it's a a girl dressed up as a boy and oh, oh no, yeah, yeah. I don't, it just doesn't that that particular storyline doesn't do anything for me Milan with um, fairies yeah or exactly. pirates whichever yeah. take your pick please okay. no <laughs> um, but you know i i say that just because it's usually something for me which i, I have to get uh, it's a hurdle i have to get past okay um but that's also i would never i never would never want to read it
3: yeah i was gonna say if someone sent you something that was sort of a weird kind of quirky twist on it something maybe like yeah. artemis fowl which is an oh, interesting God, yeah. take on it
2: i would love that 100 send me artemis fowl okay. definitely <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah if you've written the next artemis fowl <laughs> <laughs> please please i'll have it okay cool so that's that, those are the things you that you look for that you're that you're after uh, in a sort of broader sense um let's talk submissions at uh, dali anderson it's for fiction, it's, it's the pretty standard set cover letter synopsis, first three chapters mm-hmm. or 20 pages. I had a look on the website, but I couldn't find, and this might just be me being blind, I couldn't find the submission, the submission package for graphic novels.
2: Yeah, I don't know if we've got one necessarily. I, uh, As standard, I would say, um, obviously, it depends whether you're writing uh, um, text only or you're t- intending to do illustration. Um Usually it's a kind of a couple of sample pages and a synopsis. Okay. So um a sense of what the story is gonna be as a whole it doesn't have to be um illustrated, but giving two or three pages of what an illustrated what the illustrated version would look like. And then you could do roughs of a chapter or, you know, whatever you've got to that point. So that's often what you'd actually end up going on submission with anyway, would be a selection of kind of sample pages rather than doing the whole book because it's so much work. You kind of want to be under contracts, yeah, before you start illustrating the whole book.
3: Okay, so it's actually more similar to a non-fiction submission. Where yes, it's, I think it's concept plus pitch, and, and exactly. then some rough. Okay. Okay. exactly. Okay, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So, the nitty-gritty for all those query- querying authors trying to catch your eye. When you open up a submission, what? Order? Do you go through the pieces, and what are you looking for in each part?
2: Oh, that is good. It actually depends on how I feel about that day. <laughs> um, I will usually look at the pitch first, so that's the most important thing for me. In the cover letter, um, yeah. in the cover letter. Not that I won't, I won't read anything beyond that, but if if the pitch is hooky and well written and exciting sounding and much more enthusiastic about you know reading reading on um so and then I will usually go to the actual pages and read a, a page or two and if the writing's really good I'll then go to the synopsis and have a kind of have a have a look through that and then go back to the um mostly because I just want to know what happens not because I, I'm judging anything on the synopsis particularly but yeah. I'm just impatient um but for me the it r- sort of Um, lives and dies by the actual writing. So if I want to keep reading, then that's enough of an answer to me.
3: Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So yeah. Is the pitch the most important part of the cover letter?
2: Uh, I think as a whole, the cover letter is a way to show that you're professional because ultimately being an author, a professional author is a profession and you have to be able, able to go about it in a way which feels that you... Are able to, you know, speak eloquently and you know understand your craft and you understand the industry to an extent. Obviously, no one's expecting a profession before you're actually writing. Yeah, um, if that makes sense. But I think having an, an understanding of the work you're doing and how to present yourself is just like you know, it's like a, a cover letter for any job. You just it gives you an indication of who you are. Do you have a sense of humour? Are you new to this? It's not. There's nothing and that, you know beyond being rude or aggressive or it being so full of typos and you know grammatical mistakes that it's actually unreadable there's actually very little that you can do in your cover letter that will make it a no um it's just a it's just a way of sort of flagging that you're able or you're confident in your writing ability beyond just the actual story because if you can write a cover letter you're much more likely to be able to write a really good story
3: Okay. Yeah. And are there any sort of specific things that you think really make a cover letter shine?
2: Um, I think for me, often it's having a good grasp of the market as it is. So reading, reading current books, um, you know, if a book says, if a cover letter says my story is um, just like Peter Rabbit and meets Harry Potter, well, that to me says that you don't really know what, I mean, Harry Potter's still popular, but actually, there're so many books out there which are doing a more exciting different job that speaks to readers now. Yeah. You know if you're if you're only talking about books that appeal to you as a child, then you're writing for yourself as a child and maybe that's 30 years ago. You were young.
3: I mean Harry Potter is almost 30 so.
2: Yeah. So it's an, it's an old book and obviously it's, it's it's going into classics um terrain now, but there are so many amazing new authors writing out there um beyond just what you know we were reading 30 years ago that we should really be um presenting understanding of the market as a whole um so that's something that you know i think is a a really promising sign if someone knows what's exciting or knows exactly where their book fits in the market that's a really good a good sign to me yeah
3: Yeah. I, i guess it's just helpful for you to also know that they are aware so that when exactly you know if this goes a long way down you can take them to a meeting with a publisher and they will you know be up to speed with what's going on
2: yeah exactly and it's just shows an interest it's not even that you know because maybe harry potter is the best um like comparison maybe that is the closest book that is available on on any bookshop but i think it's just showing an interest in the industry so it's not just i want to be an author because i want to have my name on a book It's i want to be part of this collective i want to be someone who's writing amongst other people that I admire and I understand are doing brilliant work so it's you know it's a sense of entering into the industry as a whole rather than just wanting personal success
3: oh, off the back yeah. of do you, do you
2: know what I mean the, yeah there's, I think there's a difference I think being excited by the industry and being excited by other authors feels like a more um long-term approach to to writing
3: yes okay yeah that makes sense. a, a sort of Showing that you have an appreciation for the things that have inspired you to become a writer, and yeah uh, you know uh that you that you appreciate all the other work that other authors are doing in the space,
2: yeah, for sure, and flexibility, you know the market's changed like mm-hmm. you know it's a an understanding of how you have to be nimble and agile and resilient as well, um and all those things come across in the way that a cover letter is written, understanding you know this is where my book fits in the market, this is why I think it's a great book here are some other experience I've had or you know here's a, here's something else that I think's interesting yeah. it's much more um interesting cover letter than saying I I, I I don't think children books are very good because whenever I read them I find them really boring and <laughs> you know and my kids love this book so yeah th- that doesn't say speak to me <laughs> yeah, that this person yeah. on the industry or actually what's out there
3: okay that's well that's really interesting and very good advice for people who are currently querying to and, and also not a difficult thing to to do necessarily you know to to go and research the the what's currently popular what people are are, are reading what's selling
2: literally just go into a library just go into a library yeah. and talk to a librarian that's all you need to do like librarians will be able to tell you everything go into a bookshop you don't need to buy the books We well, yeah. should you should buy the books you but, from a bookshop <laughs> but um but just go and speak to people Go and speak to teenagers. Go on TikTok. Go on BookTok. Yeah, you know, actually, there is so much information available mm-hmm. um, that if you don't know why things popular, then you're less likely to be able to be writing a book which which will feel popular. Actually, no, that's true. Maybe <laughs> maybe you can. Maybe you can write a book with no knowledge of the industry at all, and it w- will be a mega success. You probably can.
3: You probably can. Um, I think you it, probably can. I think you, you would be hurting your own chances. I think so. Uh, you'd Because you're good. out of the loop at that point, but it could happen. Yeah. No, you never know. Yeah. You never know. Never these know. Things. <laughs> Amazing. So we, you've told us the, the broader scope of what you're looking for, but we're coming to the end of 2022. Are there any specific stories or characters that you're really keen to see in your submissions box?
2: Oh, that's such a good question. I always say no, and then I'll see it and then I will know it. Um, I saw an editor the other day was looking for um, a graphic novel about Jewish summer camp, and I was like, yeah, that's what I want as well, so if anyone's got that, please give it to me so that I can then pass it on to her."
3: Okay. Um,
2: <laughs> yeah, um, I do want better Jewish representation um, in YA middle grade. That is, you know, I'm particularly keen to find books which aren't about trauma and about the Holocaust. Um, but you know, I am particularly looking for um, North American writers as well. So um, that obviously. Um, we'll change the angle yeah. of things.
3: Um, I'm ta- speaking about that. Does it? You obviously get submissions from all over the world, I presume. Does it have any bearing uh, on on sort of your likelihood to pursue a submission if they're from Europe uh, or the UK or the US?
2: Not at all. I think so. I read I read everything, um, and if I think something's really exciting, but it feels like it has more of British quality. I'll just pass it on to one of the other agents, ah, and then okay. and vice versa. So they they give me things which they feel are more US, and I give them things which I feel are more UK. Right? I mean, if it's okay. if it's European, then it will just depend on the um, the voice whether it's more UK or, or more US. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, okay. Okay. So we're, we're really happy to share.
3: Yeah, if something grabs you or the other agents at, at, at the agency, you guys do often pass them around to oh, all the time. Oh, great! All the time. Okay, yeah, cool. for sure. Okay. Amazing. Well, um, before we get on to the final question, uh, and I know you actually touched on this earlier, but I always like to ask agents, um, if you've ever wanted to write yourself.
2: Uh, yes, I would say I actually did, um, the Bath Spa Writing for Young People MA. Oh, okay. Um, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, and I have got an agent of my own, but mm-hmm. I'm sort of taking a hiatus from writing just because I find it very hard to do both the creative and the agenting side yeah. of things. So, I I would definitely like to pursue it in a more meaningful sense. But um, it just takes so much energy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And I will get I will get back there.
3: Yeah, you I have to find the time to. at some point. Exactly. Amazing. Exactly. Well, that's great. That's great that at some time, sometime down the road, we we will see a Becca Langton. Published. Novel. Who
2: knows? I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's what my mum's been saying for the last five years. We'll see for the
3: for the last entirety of your life. <laughs>
2: exactly. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Amazing. Well, that brings us to the final question, which, as always, is Becca. If you were stranded on a desert island, but could take a single book with you, which would it be?
2: So I mean, it's a virtually impossible question to answer. <laughs> yes. I feel like if you've got a um, a desert island you want to have a book which you not only really want to keep rereading but you might want to learn off by heart when i was doing my um speech and drama exams i was like a 14 year old i learned uh part of the cold comfort farm um passage uh from my, and it's one of my favorite books and i think i would happily read reread and uh learn it off by heart but if it wasn't cold comfort farm i think it might be the lost art of keeping secrets by eva rice because it is truly my greatest comfort read um, and I haven't reread it on many occasions, so yeah, they have a similar vibe. Yeah, I would yeah, say.
3: Yeah. Well, both both great choices. Uh, thank really you, like. and also love a love a throwback to when you were fourteen year old learning <laughs> passages from it. <laughs> amazing. Well, thank you so much, Becca, for for coming on the podcast and sharing your knowledge and experience um, throughout your uh, amazing career in uh, publishing.
2: Thank you, thank you for having me. It's been been lovely.
3: It has been such a pleasure, and for anyone listening. If you're wanting to keep up with what Becca's doing, you can follow her on Twitter at Becca underscore Langton or on Instagram at agent underscore Becca. And as always, if you're thinking about submitting to Dolly Anderson, head over to their website, read up on the agents, as well as all of the submission guidelines. And to make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, follow us on Twitter at Right and Wrong UK or on Instagram and TikTok at Right and Wrong Podcast. Thanks again to Becca and thanks to everyone listening. We'll catch you in the next episode.
1: And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.
3: Thanks again for supporting the show and we'll see you in the next episode.
1: Everybody in your crew identifies
0: as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day.